Hello, and welcome to the Still To Be Determined podcast, the podcast that follows up on topics from the YouTube channel Undecided with Matt Farrell. I'm Sean Farrell. I'm the chief interrogator and older brother of Matthew, and Matthew is going to say hello now. Hello now. We'll give a moment of silence for that (laughs) terrible joke. joke. (laughs) Yes. Today we're going to be talking about Matthew's most recent episode, which was the Tesla supercharger versus the competition. Is it getting better? Matthew, this episode dropped on October 27th. October 27th, man. October 27th. Oh my God. I can't believe it's October 27th. I know. And that is in the year of our Lord, 2020. (laughs) This is the most unusual opening we've ever had. They're going to get weirder. (laughs) Strap yourself in, folks. They're going to get weirder. Here's a warning (laughs) to our listeners. (laughs) As we're heading into the shorter days, the longer nights, the fall and winter months, Sean's going to get squirrely. I can already feel it. You want to get weird? Yeah. Let's get weird. <laughs> let's get let's get nuts. <laughs> yeah. It's not going to take long for me to get there. Me either, because we just had four inches of snow a couple of days ago. So I like, heard that. <laughs> my response, I think, was the F you say. <laughs> my, my thought was, I haven't raked the yard yet. Yeah. <laughs> it just snowed four inches of snow on top of a huge pile of leaves, which is right. going to mash it down. It's going to be great. It's going to yeah. be fun. Good times. It's going to be good times. Yeah. I think if memory serves, that's the most dad thing you've ever said. Yes, it is. It (laughs) snowed on the leaves. (laughs) And somewhere there's an alarm going, (laughs) (laughs) break glass in case of emergency. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And, and to show you how different our lives are, I still have a huge teenage Sean part of my brain, fully active. (laughs) Because I'm a renter in Brooklyn. So I hear it snowed on the leaves. And I'm just like, what? Who? What? <laughs> what does we, that mean? Do we care about that? Is that, yeah. is that a thing? <laughs> is that a thing we worry about? Should I be worried about leaves? <laughs> I don't have a yard. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get weird. Let's get weird. <laughs> Charging stations. This was, uh, if there's one big takeaway from this video, mm-hmm. I think It is, and this is a subtext to a lot of your videos when it comes to electric vehicles. We are very much in the Wild West. There needs to be regulation. There needs to be consistency across the board. It sounds absolutely frustratingly crazy to say, I'm going to take the car for a drive and I'm probably going to need to charge it a couple times while I'm on the road. It sounds very much like an electric vehicle has far fewer headaches if it's just local driving. I'm just driving it to and from work. I'm driving it to and from the supermarket or whatever. It's always local. And then you know what stations you should be using nearby. But it sounds like if you're going for a longer road trip, you might really kind of be wading through the weeds in some (laughs) locations and struggling with inconsistencies. And the pricing aspect sounds crazy. The charging times Sounds frustrating. It really, it's, it, it really seems to be screaming for it. There needs to be, the industry needs to get together. And because government regulation is just not going to do that right now. Yeah. But the industry needs to figure itself out. There's an aspect of my video where it's like, I think it came off a little worse than it actually is. But mm. um, it is not great. And there's, there's a problem with this because like people like me who live in an area driving a Tesla, like in the Boston area or Massachusetts, I have zero problems 
with charging. None. I can drive wherever I want. No issues. I can come visit you in New York or go visit mom and dad in upstate New York. And it's like, I never have any problems whatsoever. It's like the perfect experience. But then if you go out into Wisconsin, it might be a different story. So it's it's still, it's so early days. There are pockets of problem areas and there are pockets where it's utopia. And then it also varies based on, like you were saying, it's just, if you have a non-Tesla and you live in a certain region, yeah, it's like, mm-hmm. good luck. Um, Because it's still early days. If you're driving EVs for local use only, there's no problems now. I don't care where you live. You can pretty much drive an EV without any issues. It's right. just those long routes, especially for the non-Tesla owners out there. Major areas of the United States are covered. Major areas of the Canada are covered. But there's, there's still this pockets. It's it's one of the things you have to remember of like EVs in the global automotive market still make up less than 1% of the market right now. Right. As much as attention as EVs get... We have to keep that in mind that it's still less than 1% of the market. So it's, it's, it's still, we're still at the very early days and it's, it's surprisingly good for the user experience at the stage we're at, but it's also one of those, it needs to be way better because 99% of people are going to be reluctant to jump in if these problems are still existing. And it sounds like it's not just a U.S. context. One of the comments that I read that just made me, it really made me want to lie down (laughs) and put a cloth on my head was from Hugh 78. Hugh is apparently in London and he wrote, I have 26 apps on my phone for charging as I have traveled to Spain and back. Also a dozen or so tags and cards, but generally stick to Tesla's. They are cheaper than most of the others on main routes and have lots of chargers. Apart from that, I use slow AC chargers at supermarkets, which are usually free. So I have these others just in case. 26 apps. That that seems extreme to me. That seems, seems absolutely <laughs> nuts. <laughs> the, the, the best charging networks are the ones that work like a gas station where you go in, you pull up to the charging, uh, the, the charger, you swipe a credit card, you plug it in and you just wait. But the ones that require some kind of account or app or some crazy like network charge card that you load money onto it's like those have lost the thread of how user experience is supposed to work right it's like you're putting you're putting so many roadblocks in front of the users so that you can track people it's it's yeah. like um shopping at a grocery store and how they have customer incentive programs like Near me, there's a stop and shop grocery store or Wegmans and you get a Wegmans shopping card and you get a little extra discount if you use their shopping card on certain products. Mm -hmm. So it's the incentive to use it and then they can track what you shop for. Right. But they don't force me to have a Wegmans card that I load cash onto to buy my groceries. It's it's insane. Yeah. And that really does reek of of the marketing team has too much leverage in the decision making for a for a company if they're able to force you to have a app on your phone so that you can use a service i find that so repugnant so this kind of thing with you are literally dealing with people who are away from home You've got a captive audience. What if somebody's pulling into a gas station or charging station and they're like, I don't have a choice here. That, You've that's got a captive kind of the, audience. Yeah. That's kind of the point I was getting to. Like there was, um, I drove up to New Hampshire to go to pick something up at a mall up there. And 
I had forgotten to give myself a good charge for the past few days on my car. And so I got there and I was a little low. I knew I had enough to get home, but I wanted to get a little like extra just to give myself a little cushion. So there were chargers at the, the mall. And when I pulled in, the one I pulled into, I had to install an app to use an account. And for some reason, I had AT&T, I have AT&T service. I didn't have a good cell signal at the charging station. So I was the download speed of the app. It was like, it was like, screw this. And I drove around the mall a little bit to find a different charger that was just free and I could plug into the idea of like, well, what's the big deal about installing an app? And, you know, you know, it's like, well, if you pull in, like, what if you don't have a good signal? What if you, you don't have a smartphone? What if it's like, right. <laughs> there's so many, so many issues. It's like, why can't I just pull up, swipe a credit card and just plug in and walk away? Why do you even need my information? It's right. It's ridiculous. And then there's the issue about cost. Yes. Oh, yeah. There was mm-hmm. a comment from Hyrick89. Mm-hmm. And Hyrick wrote, I can see where they're coming from with permanent pricing. It punishes people who let their EV just sit there occupying the rapid charger even after their EV battery is charged up. What I'm saying is that permanent pricing gives the incentive of, if you don't buy me being crass, charge the F up and get the F out. He's not wrong. But do you trust then that they're going to give you the fastest charge they can give you? What's the motivation for a company to give you the fastest possible charge? Right. It's to their benefit to slow it down a few kilowatts. There are other ways to motivate people to keep moving on. And Tesla actually does some of this already on their superchargers where they will, if you hit full charge and you leave your car there, they will start charging you a kind of like overage fee. Like, and it's expensive. They'll start hitting you with a couple bucks for every like few minutes that you're there. So uh, you want to, as soon as you hit your charge, you want to get that F out because you're going to start getting these exorbitant charges. The other thing that they've they've done is like during Thanksgiving week, which is probably one of the biggest travel times of the year here in the United States, not this year, but (laughs) most years, they, (laughs) what they've done at supercharger locations that are like slammed with people charging they'll actually limit how much you can charge, meaning they'll stop your car charging at 80%. Right. They won't let you go to 100% because they want you to, because charging to 80% is super fast for time. And then going mm-hmm. from 80 to 100 is really slow because the charging speeds ramps down as you get closer to full. So you don't damage the battery? Yeah, it's f- to protect the battery. And so what they're doing is they're letting you charge at the fastest period of the charging, which means you might be there for 15 minutes and then you can get out versus being there for 30 minutes just to get that last, you know, 10%. Right. It's like, it's it's diminishing returns. So they've done things where it's like, we're just cutting charging off at these locations at 80% because that should be pl- plenty of range to get to the next supercharger or do whatever you need to do next. Right. And they're not wrong. And so it's like, they've, they're taking means to, to get people moving through as fast as possible. Permanent pricing is not the solution because it doesn't incentivize the company to give you the fastest right. possible charge. The other way around, it's to Tesla's benefit to give you as fast of a charge as they possibly can to get you out and get another person through. And think about it this way, then they make more money. Because yeah. if they're charging you per kilowatt, the faster they can put kilowatts into your car and get you out and the next person in, they're going to get more money. Where the other way around, they actually want to slow things down. So right. it's, it's, it's bananas to me. It's just bananas. And I don't know if you saw one of the other comments. I didn't know why some states require this. Yeah, I was going to ask th- you about that. Yeah, there were a couple of people that um, commented on it and somebody actually sent me an email. I didn't know this. 
so the states that have the requirement, it's not that they're requiring EV chargers to pay per kilowatt hour. It's that they have a requirement that to be able to sell electricity, you have to be a utility. Hmm. So these charging locations are not utilities. So right. they can't charge per kilowatt hour because they can't sell electricity. So they can only sell stuff like per minute, which is why they're doing that. Those laws need to be changed. Yeah, it's like outdated laws that were written clearly before something like this was even a, a glimmer sure. in anybody's eye. And so now you've got a situation where it's like you've created user hostile pricing because you were saying you can't sell electricity because you're not a utility. It's like yeah. they, they've got to change that. I have a couple of thoughts about ways to incentivize different levels of charging. Like you mentioned, the 80% goal. I -hmm. think one thing that charging stations could do would be to have the option no different than you pull into a gas station and you've got, I can get the three different versions of gasoline. Mm -hmm. You know, you can get the premium, you can get the regular. Um, What if you pulled into a charging spot for an EV and it gave you the option for a few cents less per kilowatt to just charge to a target of 80%. That to me makes a lot of sense. You know, you could pull in and say like, I'm going to save a few cents here by only charging to 80. And then the other thing I was thinking is the cars are smart. They have the onboard computer. Another way to do it would be destination charging. If you pulled into an EV spot, you could inform on your car where you were going and then yeah. you could charge to that target of the location. So if your target is only 60 miles away mm-hmm. and you just get enough charge plus a little on top for security's sake, just charge to that. That would be another way. And again, do that for an incentive price. I love both of those. And to add on to them, you obviously know this, but some people that listen to this probably don't. I used to work in video games for years. And what you just said for the first idea is exactly what you do in game design. Because in game design, you typically want to avoid being giving penalties to a user experience because right. it gives a negative connotation. It feels bad and you want the user to feel good. So you typically do incentives to do things in video games. And what you're talking about is an incentive to charge less. And so instead of saying you're going to get a dollar charged to you if you go beyond this limit, you're saying you get five cents off if you right. stop at that limit. That is so much smarter than the the negative connotation. Um, it's incentive to be proactive and do less and be faster at your charging station, which I love. And then the other one, the, the thing that came to mind for that was te- in Tesla specifically, <laughs> this is one of those, you can tell an engineer is running that company because if you're, if you're putting into your maps, I want to go to this location. You're going to go to that location. And then if you want to go to a different location, you're going to put in the next location. So why would you want to have waypoints along your path mm. to an ultimate destination? Elon actually argued that point a couple of times on Twitter with people. And people keep say, asking him, please put waypoints in. Please put waypoints in. And he finally, they finally caved and they're putting waypoints into the map software. And I so find it wasn't it in there because he didn't see the value, despite the fact the customer base is saying this is what yes. we want. It wasn't, wow. just, it was, 
it wasn't just him. It was probably him and his entire team. It wasn't just him. But it's so such an engineering ones and zeros way of looking at it. It's like, yes, the shortest not, distance between two points is a straight line. Why are you putting in a waypoint? If you're going to grandma's house, but you want to stop at the store before, you know, you're going to stop at that store before. So just put the store's address and then go there. And then when you're done there, then you put in grandma's address. It's like, no, 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 no. I'm going to grandma's and I have two stops along the way. And I want to make sure I have enough charge for that entire thing, including that detour. Right. It's like, you, it's like how do you not see that users would want to see this? Yeah. So that's only rolling out like basically now. It's going to be rolling out very soon if it's not already out. And so it's too funny to me. Like your suggestion is yes, perfect. Yes. But there was no actual way to do that in a Tesla until now. <laughs> Having worked with engineers as long as I have, it's, it's a very engineer way of thinking. It's just, it's very funny to me. <laughs> it's like as a user experience designer, I'm coming up from a completely different point of view of like, why would you not want waypoints in there? <laughs> At the start of this conversation, I jumped off by saying we're in the Wild West. There needs to obviously be either regulation in order to create consistency or the industry itself needs to get together and figure out how to mm-hmm. make this stuff more consistent. And I couldn't help but start thinking, how did this all work for gas? And so I it did, went through something it went through something very similar. I, I went and did a little bit of digging. And yeah. it's it's not identical, but it's comparable, I think. I think it's a good analogy for EV charging stations evolution. Yeah. And it was from a website called convenience.org. I found an article about the history of self-fueling. It includes a timeline, which starts in the 1920s. And in the 1960s, you start to see what looks very much like our modern gas stations start to mm-hmm. actually exist. So using this timeline, it starts in the 1920s and it takes until the late 60s. Obviously, by the late 60s, the car industry is what we think of as the car industry. So using that as a rough timeline, if we're looking at 40 years for the gas industry to get to the point where the modern automotive experience includes ease and consistency in fueling the fact that evs are moving as quickly as they are and the ev charging platforms are moving as quickly as they are i think we're in a much better place overall we're basically like a decade into this really if you want to think about it like that maybe you could say two decades if you want to be generous the rate of adoption over the past century has been increasing for new technology Mm -hmm. so the gap of like you pointed out like 40 or 50 years before things started to really become a thing that's going to be far condensed today. And it's the same thing. Like when you look at ref- the adoption of refrigerators compared to the adoption of televisions, compared to the adoption of color TVs, to the adoption of cell phones, it's like every kind of innovation that has become a thing, the timeline is compressing and getting faster and faster and faster. Right. So it's not like we're going to have to wait 50 years for the EV infrastructure to be ubiquitous and reliable and be mass market appeal it's going to be far shorter than that and we're only like a decade maybe two into this so another another decade it's going to be (laughs) probably way on its way to being ubiquitous so as we usually end our episodes we'll talk a little bit about some pop culture things that we are using to pass the time i was going to uh, point out a movie that we watched last night in the spirit of Halloween. We watched the movie Oculus. Oculus is from 2013 and it stars Karen Gillan. She was one of the companions for Doctor Who and she also was 
one of the villains slash heroes of Guardians of the Galaxy. And it stars her as a young woman who is trying to prove that her father and her brother were not the murderers that the public thought they were, that it was actually a haunted mirror that drove these terrible family events. What is interesting about this is that picking up on more recent episodes of our podcast where we've referred to The Haunting of Hill House and Bly Manor, this is written and directed by Mike Flanagan, who is the creative guy behind both of those series. And this was originally based on a short film that he did. The movie is older than those shows. It shows that he is growing as a storyteller. And it really, we had a conversation about it where we really talked about, you can see his evolution and it makes me excited for him as a filmmaker and a storyteller of where he might end up. The movie was full of wonderfully creepy and upsetting moments, the same sorts of things that we've talked about with Hill House and we've talked about with Bly Manor, where the whole, the timing of slow shots and a figure in the background and unsettling small devices, like a woman looking into a reflection and seeing when she looks behind her near the doorway, there are two objects. And when mm -hmm. she looks into the mirror, there's a third object and it's not actually there until she finally turns around and now the third object is there. <laughs> and it's things like that. It's a s unsettling playing of reality within the film that builds and builds and builds as the story progresses. And it's very effective. And there are moments that I was like, ah, I wish this had been a little bit different or that had been a little bit different. But I think overall it worked as a movie and it was a really great creepy movie. And I, after we finished it, I said, I think we're going to have to go for a while before we watch anything with strange spectral women standing in the background. <laughs> because I'm having a little bit of trouble getting up in the middle of the night to go use the bathroom <laughs> and looking down the very creepy staircase that we have outside our bedroom door. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I did like it and I thought it was, yeah. I thought it was cool. And I think it was mismarketed when it first came out. I do remember the ads, you know, it was advertised as more like a supernatural saw movie. Like it was going to be about nothing but intense jump and gross out scares. And it's not that kind of movie at all. It's much more gothic. For, for me, there's two quick things I'll run through really quick. Um, the first one is, I've been watching a lot of stuff on Apple TV+. Plus. There's actually some good shows on there now. This one is called Tehran, which if you like spy thrillers, Jason Bourne, that kind of stuff, this is kind of in that vein. It's not like crazy action packed like a Jason Bourne movie, but it's, it's really thrilling. And it's basically about... Um, the Israelis versus Iran, where they uh, there's some undercover agents sent into Tehran to take down the power grid so that they can the Israelis can come in and basically bomb a nuclear facility, and everything goes wrong with this. And the woman that is one of these agents gets stranded in Tehran, and they're after her, and she's trying to hide. And it's a cat and mouse game between her and. A top agent from the um, their CIA version of whatever they are is chasing her down, and it's really exciting. And 
tension-filled and it's very a human-based story where there's a lot of character development and a lot of drama around the characters and it does a really good job of fleshing out even the bad guys so that you like the bad guys because they don't seem like bad guys because they're doing what they think is right and like it's it's it makes everybody very compelling and so you're kind of rooting for different people for at different times and you're kind of sliding back and forth and we in the united states look at iran as like the big bad boogeyman and they do a good job of humanizing a lot of the iranians that work for the government and are suppressing people you still Mm -hmm. kind of are feeling for them um but that's also one of the things i would say i took away i finished the full first season and i really liked it i recommend it but there was an element of it i didn't like and it's because they they portray the Israelis as just the big bad. Um, and the reason for that is they don't humanize really any of the Israeli characters. It's really strange um, how they did the storytelling because it's so focused on the Middle Eastern characters, not the Israeli characters. And so they are kind of a superficial portrayal of people. And it makes it feel a little too sympathetic to the Iranians. But the takeaway from it is basically saying it's not the people that are bad. It's the governments and the situation of power that is bad. Because what the Iranian government and what the Israeli government are doing is just screwing everybody up. And whoever you are at the level of just living your life, they're all good people trying to do the right thing and trying to protect their family and do the right thing. But they're being forced to do what they're doing because of governments doing stupid stuff. So it was, to me, that was kind of the takeaway. But there was there was some nuance to the way they did it that I didn't like. Uh, but overall, the series was pretty good. The second thing I just started watching on Hulu was the show Hellstrom, which is, I did not know this, is based on a comic book, I believe. I've only watched the first two episodes, but I'm liking it. It's it's not like knocking my socks off, like great show, but it's it reminds me in, in spirit in some way, a little bit of um, Supernatural, because mm-hmm. uh, it's in that vein of, it's a very pretty show, and it's dealing with demons and uh, supernatural things that are afoot and playing with religion and believers and non-believers. And, and there's this giant kind of like question mark over like, what does all this mean? It could be an overly heavy, dark show, but it's not, which is one of the things I appreciate about it. So it's got this nice spook factor, but it's not too spooky. It's not trying to be too dour. It's It's right. got kind of a a bright, fun feeling to it, even though it's dealing with dark elements. So it's like, I'm having fun with it. It's it's a, it's on Hulu. If you have Hulu, it's worth giving a shot. Yeah, I've thought about checking that out. It looks like it'll fill that void that'll be left when Supernatural's over. So let us know what you are checking out and let us know what you think about the podcast episode or the most recent episode of Matthew's YouTube channel. You can reach out to us at Twitter at stilltbdfm. You can reach out to me directly at Farrell. And Matt's available at Matt Farrell and at Undecided MF. Please be sure to watch for the latest videos from Undecided with Matt Farrell on YouTube. And don't forget to look for the podcast at stilltbd.fm. You can subscribe to the podcast through any major podcast providers like iTunes or Spotify. Please be sure to give us a rating or review and share us with your friends. It really does help the podcast. The podcast helps the channel. The channel helps Matthew. And then Matthew forgets to rake his leaves before the snow falls. (laughs) Thanks so much for listening, everybody. We'll talk to you soon.